Power, please. Blasting off. What did you do to your hair? It was making me nervous, so I chopped it off. Big mistake, huh? No, I sort of like it. You've got a Lulu. Huh? Yeah, better not get too close. I never catch colds. Really? I was reading some figures from the Sickness and Actually Claims Division. Do you know that the average New Yorker between the ages of 20 and 50 has two and a half colds a year? Huh. Now, that makes me feel just terrible. Why? Well, to make the figures come out even, if I have no colds a year, some poor slob must have five colds a year. Yeah, it's me. You should have stayed in bed this morning. You should have stayed in bed last night. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. (laughs) They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back to the Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 150. Wow. Am, yeah. Suspicious occasion. Yeah, we're here. 150. Yeah. It seems... We should have planned something, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know. I think this I think this movie is worthy of... Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's actually uh, one of my favorites. So, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I'm your host, Lee. That's the way it crumbles, cookie-wise, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Just because I wear a uniform doesn't make me a Girl Scout Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, and uh, technically I was never even a brownie, you know. <laughs> I was debating of whether using that quote, or I think it's only fair to warn you that you are now alone with a notorious sex pot. <laughs> that would have worked as well. A sex pot, you know, that's one of those, you know, certain words work one way in 1959 or 1960, uh, feel a little different in 28, 2019. It know? feels really weird having Jack Lemon be called a, a sex pot. I've never seen it used with the male gender. I've always ever only seen it applied to females. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is an old movie. <laughs> yeah. There is some interesting gender stuff going on here, but uh, we can dig into that here uh, shortly, I think. Yeah. If you hadn't guessed, we're going to be uh, doing The Apartment from 1960, the Billy Wilder film starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. But before we get into that, I do have a couple quick comments to breeze through here. So uh, quickly go to these from our Facebook group. First one is from Jeff Williams, and he says, Suggestion of the Week. And this implies, Jeff, that you're going to suggest a movie every week now on the Facebook group. So uh, I'm going to kind of hold you to that. Uh, so to do this but he sounds he says sounds like it's time for lee and daniel to cover a film about racial intolerance or one about frying eggs on the sidewalk this does both and features a great cast as well and the movie is tick 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 i I think it's starring jim brown if i'm not mistaken and he he's like he's a black sheriff who's elected into this like really racist town i guess and all kinds of shit goes down. I, it, it, it looks <laughs> like an it looks like an it's blazing of, saddles the drama. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's blazing saddles the black exploitation. I can't quite tell. I didn't go deep into looking at it, but it, from the posters and some of the pictures and stuff I saw, it looks like it's kind of a seventies exploitation film of some sort, or or sixties. I can't remember when it was made, but 
yeah, I, I said I put I, we put it on the list, so there we go. Definitely, we'll have we'll do it soon. Mm. By which I mean sometime in the next ten years. Yeah, yeah. And then we have a comment from our friend Gary Hill from Cinema Beef Podcast, which is a podcast you should check out if you have not, because he's awesome. And he says, guess who has two thumbs and really disliked Ocean's 8? And then he posted a picture of, uh, I guess... John Krasinski the... from The Office. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Jim from The Office uh, pointing, in, pointing fingers at himself, pointing his thumbs at himself. Yeah. I'd actually kind of want to hear why you don't like that movie, Gary, because I thought it was lightweight, fun, and charming. So uh, yeah, no, be interesting. Totally to agree. But that's <laughs> it for comments. So uh, thank you guys. And of course, if you join our Facebook group, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook and you leave comments for us. We will always read them on the podcast and respond to them. So uh, there you go. We can move on now to what we've watched last while. I've got nothing to mention. I mean, I, I could mention that I'm watching the new season of The Punisher, but I'm only four episodes in. I really like what I've I've seen so far, but uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I know you have something, Daniel. So sure. Well, I have uh, actually. Now that you mentioned that, I, I do have one thing. the uh, The third season of a series of unfortunate events uh, came out. Okay. And that show is much better than you probably think it is, just based on you know the awful Jim Carrey movie or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, really was liking that show when it kind of first premiered in 2016. They really crammed these into production because, I mean, it's it's about three children. One of them was a baby in the first season. Oh, okay, yeah. And they were definitely uh, – they, they intentionally, like, pushed this through production so they could get, you know, all the books adapted. Um, I've never really read the books. They were, like, kids' books. I worked in a bookstore around the time that the last book came out, and so I had some exposure to them, uh, mm-hmm. but I really had no, like, kind of knowledge of, of what they were. But this third season in particular has just, uh, I mean, this this story gets darker. It feels very 2019. <laughs> At first you think it's kind of this, going to be this kind of formulaic, silly kind of genre pastiche because the whole thing is like these three children, their parents die in a fire, like their their house burns down and then they end up sent off to this kind of series of awful and awful situations all involving this guy count olaf who's trying to get their fortune every book was adapted into two like 55 minute episodes of the television show and mm. at first you think like everyone is gonna each, each book was gonna be like a different scheme for olaf to get their stuff and then uh, very quickly like after two it starts to become like something much more interesting where there's this secret society that their parents were involved in and then a whole bunch of different characters. And, it start, and particularly in the third season, it really starts to be about what does it mean to try to do good in the world? Do our actions really determine our morality or is it our intentions and that sort of thing? And and yet it never loses that sort of uh, whimsy. It's it's Imagine if Tim Burton was actually good. That's kind of what this uh, series is. Um, it's um, produced by uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, who you'll uh, remember did Men in Black and like, many, many right. other things. Uh, that's been really good. We've been kind of running that on a loop in the house <laughs> the last few days. So I really, really thought they that series ended well. And since you mentioned The Punisher, I figured, uh, you know, something else mm-hmm. is good on Netflix. One little movie I wanted to mention just because I rewatched it, again, kind of late at night. Uh, before bed one night, one of the little we got a uh, a, a giant Roku TV is our like Christmas gift to ourselves. I think we mentioned I mentioned that right. a couple episodes ago, and uh, so we get access to a bunch of free movies on this whatever service. You know, you, it runs an ad every you know thirty minutes, and you just go whatever. Mm-hmm. You get some of the pleasure of like actually like watching stuff on TV. You know, <laughs> used to be you know when you just tune in and go, oh, this is on. So I rewatched UHF for the first time, and I think oh, yeah. twenty years, maybe not twenty years, but close to it 15 years or so i'm not gonna say it holds up because i'm not sure it was ever really that great to begin with 
I feel like it really speaks to like a very particular moment in pop culture history because even when the movie was made, I mean, the movie was released in 89 and all those old UHF stations were going out even then. I mean, it was the very tail end of that era. And in fact, I think in some markets it was released as like the vidiot, you know, and it was supposed to be like, you know, they were reaching into that VHS era. But now like all these sketches feel like, you know, like surreal YouTube stuff or stuff that would be on Adult Swim or whatever. Right. And uh, it just, it it does feel like we've kind of wrapped all the way back around to where like that stuff just feels kind of contemporary again, despite the fact that it's literally referencing movies from like 30 years ago that, (laughs) you know, know, the Conan the Librarian sketch. Yeah. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of silly surrealism and it's it's kind of a cute little movie and uh if you haven't seen it in a while and uh you don't uh want to actually think uh put it on (laughs) (laughs) i really like weird al oh i grew up on weird al Mm. i mean and and he's he's actually one of those guys who ended up being a really decent human being as well yeah which is one of the great things is like you know when you see him on twitter you see him like give interviews and stuff he's got a real sense of who he who he is and you know he's just you know I, I have nothing, nothing but respect for Weird Al. He's he's a great guy. Yeah, I actually need to rewatch that film because I think it's even been longer for me since I last saw it. Yeah, so. no, the ultimately, you know, Michael Richards plays a key role in that film, and you know, it's funny like how how many of the people sort of around Weird Al have not uh, really kind of uh, gotten to the present age with quite as much goodwill as he has. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, Victoria Jackson plays his girlfriend. Oh, you know, oh. and. Uh, you know, yeah, she's got her own her own uh, little crazy tea party. She has some period. issues, yeah. <laughs> she's got some issues, but um, but yeah, no, it's it was it was a very pleasant rewatch, and uh, it's it's great if nothing else for uh, Kevin McCarthy. Um, mm. He he plays kind of the main villain. I was kind of reading the Wikipedia page while I was like watching the film or rewatching the film. I was Kevin McCarthy was kind of seeing this as maybe he was going to try to do like the Leslie Nielsen thing and kind of come back and do these comedies as mm. kind of the late stage resurgence. And he just kind of never really made that happen. Apparently he was literally like cracking up the second the, you know, he would do his lines and just could not keep a straight face while he was filming it, which is uh, just delightful. I mean, it seems mm. like that was a, you know, we made this film for $25 in a, in a, in a shoebox <laughs> and uh, everybody had a good time making it. And you know what? It, it shows on screen. Yeah. Yeah, it does. What limited memories I do have of the movie are, are nothing but fond memories. So, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, play some music, some podcast promos, and we'll be back with The Apartment. You ungodly warlock. Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence, freaks of nature. You've come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, and listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please venture frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sun Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder.
ungodly warlock. The Apartment from 1960. Ingredient number one, a very warm, very wonderful story about a boy, a girl, and a very special kind of problem. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kublik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Ingredient number two, a brilliant cast. Jack Lemon in a delightful role which gives full reign to Jack's amazing versatility. Shirley MacLaine, 
whose glowing warmth lights up the screen like a Christmas tree. Fred McMurray. This is a Fred McMurray you've never seen before. You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away they think you're going to divorce your wife. <laughs> I ask you, is that, is that fair? No, sir, it's very unfair. Especially to your wife. Yeah. Ingredient number three, Billy Wilder. There's nothing quite like that Billy Wilder, some like it hot kind of laughter. Are we dressing for dinner? You no, know, just come as you are. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. Where have you seen me serve the meatballs? <laughs> Mildred, he's at it again. Directed by Billy Wilder, written by Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond, starring Jack Lemmon as Calvin Clifford, or C.C., Bud Baxter, Shirley MacLaine as Fran Kubelik, Fred McMurray as Jeff D. Sheldrake, Ray Walston as Joe, a, a very weird to see Ray Walston this young, as uh, Joe Dobish, and even then he wasn't all that young in this film, but still, Jack Kirshen as Dr. Dreyfus, David Lewis as L. Kirkby, Edie Adams as Miss Olson. Hope Holiday as Mrs. Margie McDougal and Joan Shawley as Sylvia. We do have a little synopsis here I pulled from IMDb. Insurance statistician C.C. Bud Baxter advances his career by making his Manhattan apartment available to executives in his company for their extramarital affairs. His boss, Jeff D. Sheldrake, finds out and promotes Bud in return for the exclusive use of the apartment for his own affair. When Sheldrake's girlfriend turns out to be Fran Kublik, a pretty elevator operator Bud likes, he is heartbroken but accepts the arrangement. And he leaves it at that. Ooh. <laughs> he doesn't get into a lot in this film. Yeah, no. He gets to the halfway point. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, this yeah. uh so so good good on you, film faxman. You you left us wanting more, uh, and we do get a lot more in this film. So there, uh, there is, yeah, yeah. So I'll let you go first, Daniel. What, what's your well, sort you, of... you, you typically do? And I kind of want to do the very brief take. And was this your first time seeing this? This was. Um, I mean, for for me personally, I, I know the reputation of this film. I'm I'm not a big uh, knowledgeable, like I haven't seen a lot of Billy Wilder's stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do, the stuff I have seen, I've appreciated. And I do know that this is considered one of the greatest movies ever made in, in a lot of circles. And I've, I've seen like little scenes here and there, and I've seen mentions of it. So I am aware of the film. I've just never watched it until tonight. So, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I had the advantage of when I saw this film the first time I knew literally nothing about it. It was one of those uh, I caught on Turner Classic Movies uh, sometime, I don't know, 2002, 2003, you know, something somewhere in that in that, you know, era when uh, you would just kind of flip channels and, you know, TCM had it on and, you know, Robert Osborne comes out there and he says, you know, well, this is, you know, Billy Wilder's The Apartment with Shirley mm-hmm. McLean and Jack Lemmon. And, uh, 
you know, you tell a little anecdote and then get you kind of involved. You're like, oh, I want to see the movie now, you know, like, oh, and they're about to play it. So congrats, good on you, TCM, for uh, getting my attention. Mm. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, you, you do a lot of that like you. You just kind of watch the first two or three minutes and kind of go, yeah, I'll, I'll just kind of move on and do something else, you know. I uh, was immediately hooked into this film the first time I saw it and just absolutely fell in love and had no idea that this was like considered a classic. Um, I love, I just love the characters in this. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Shirley MacLaine is fucking amazing. In the, I mean, she is delightful in every possible way in this film. <laughs> Jack Lemmon, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of coming off of some like it hot. So is Billy Wilder at this point. This is kind of their follow up to uh, some like it hot. You know, if you've seen that film, it's much more, I mean, you know, that's kind of the uh, Marilyn Monroe sex romp comedy. You know, that that's a lot more. We're going to have dudes in dresses kind of dancing around and, and doing stuff. And it's a, it's an amazing film. It's one of the funniest films mm-hmm. ever made. But this is going after something a lot deeper and a lot darker. And you don't realize that until you get roughly halfway through the film. Yeah. Really, just how dark this film is going to get. Because, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, this is a feel-good sex comedy about attempted suicide <laughs> and it's... adultery and uh yeah. you know the crushing weight of capitalism on all our lives mm-hmm. and it ends with a gin rummy game and it's amazing <laughs> and uh you know yeah. i don't want to kind of run over you here i really am interested in kind of kind of your experience watching it so uh why don't i hand the reins back over and uh and what are, what are your kind of general impressions yeah, so even though I, I did know the film's reputation and I did in general sort of know the the bare structure of the plot, I was totally blown away by how this movie just sort of unfolded things. And I mean, this is a two hour movie that doesn't feel like two hours because I was surprised. I thought it was like an hour, you know, forty or so. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of coming back to rewatch it. It's like, holy shit, that's two hours like two oh four, you know? Yeah. Like that's a that's a real I mean, especially in nineteen sixty, that's that's an extended length film, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, so it's got Jack Lemon. I, I know Jack Lemon's reputation. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. And he's done really good dramatic work, but I'm feel I'm feeling like instantly, okay, so he's doing the more goofy Jack Lemon. He's doing like He's doing like the Tom Hanks before Tom Hanks did Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, yeah. He's thing, doing yeah. he's doing the good version of Tom Hanks, like early yeah. period Tom Hanks. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm on board. Okay, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be whimsical. Whimsical. It's gonna be light. And then slowly it turns into Madman or, or Mad Men. Oh yeah, comedic film adaptation basically. <laughs> and it's doing Mad Men contemporaneous to when Mad Men was a mm-hmm. thing. You know. It was actually made, it's actually earlier because it's like shot in 1959. Yeah. And Mad Men kind of starts in 1960. And yet it's basically doing everything that Mad Men was trying to do over however many seasons that damn show ran. Well, yeah. In like two hours, you know? (laughs) I mean, it it predicts the whole thing because everyone who's in management in this company he works for has got a mistress. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's got a very dire uh, opinion of management and big business. I'm, I was just like sucked in by how beautiful the black and white photography. I watched the version I watched was off of Vimeo. Uh-huh. And I assume it's probably one of the Blu-ray prints because, man, every detail in this just pops right out. Like it's a fucking I, beautiful. I, film. I watched this on Amazon Prime this time. And mm-hmm. this was, yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenal print. I uh, did get to see this on the big screen back when we had an Alamo in this town. Um, womp womp. Uh, it looks, 
to see this, I mean, seeing this on the big screen was just one of those like holy god moments because you know you start picking out details that you didn't even you know notice necessarily. I mean, it's just that good. It's just mm-hmm. that amazing. You know, there's just so much stuff kind of constantly, but it doesn't feel hurried. It doesn't feel uh, like it like it's like pumping information at you. But every single scene has point, you know, and it has kind of a comedic beat. It has a character beat it has a thematic resonance i mean it's it's such a tight amazing script and then it's just filled with these phenomenal performances sorry i said i was gonna let you talk i'm just uh, (laughs) filling in the details while you're you know no uh and from what i understand like a lot of the script was either written on the fly or rewritten on the fly at the very least as they were Mm -hmm. going so just the amount of talent behind this uh both on screen and behind screen to make a film this tight and well-constructed and just beautiful to look at and to watch. I was drawn in by, by the characters here. Like you mentioned how good all the acting is in this. A lot of these characters at the forefront at face value, they just look like, okay, they're your, they're your stock comedy characters in this little whimsical comedy from the, the late fifties, early sixties. A lot of these characters end up becoming much deeper and much more interesting as the movie goes along and you get these unexpected little sides to them. Like the doctor who lives right mm-hmm. next door in the apartment building. <laughs> my my wife literally was, I mean, particularly in this rewatch, she was, she was kind of going, yeah, that's a, that's certainly a Jewish doctor. Yes. You know? he's the, he's <laughs> that's, a st- that's quite the Jewish stereotype in the movie. I mean, it, it runs right up to that edge of being like horribly offensive. And yet, like, yeah, uh, well, I don't even think it gets necessarily that far, but it's, when, when you first see him, you expect him to go, Oh, Meshugana, you know, yeah. he's, he's in his apartment with, with, with the pretty ladies. Yeah, and, yeah and, it doesn't quite do like the Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at <laughs> Tiffany's, you know, level of thing. It's not quite, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go that far, but it's definitely, you know, it's, it's like, oh, there's a Jewish man in this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but once Although you, Billy uh, Wilder was himself Jewish, so, you know. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, you know, it, it, it feels like, you know, the, the actual truth in stereotypes, you know, right. uh, comes out. So it's those qualities, but then his character takes a really quick turn because there's a very there's a very serious uh, sort of switch in this film halfway through the film man then he just becomes a serious professional who is very judgmental uh with with cc in part because cc is perpetuating a deception in, in order to basically protect the honor of this lady that uh is uh well and, near... his, and his bosses you know mm-hmm. that yeah thing so i mean the whole thing is that he's been not really telling his neighbors or his landlady you know what's going on and they all think he's like this party animal constantly yeah. bringing women over and having loud parties but really he's sitting out in the cold and while he's like lending his apartment to these uh, executives at the at the company he works for, you get a sense like you know he's almost just trying to be a nice guy, like mm-hmm. he just sort of. But also, he knows that he's going to get promotions because of it. And there's some little bit sort of as much as we want to like Jack Lemmon in this film, and as much as I do like him in this film, you know, he's definitely kind of a flawed character because oh, I mean, yeah. he's definitely currying favor and he's definitely kind of using this to, to his advantage and. Uh, you know, he's constantly kind of like, look at what a big shot I am. I mean, he's definitely not a, um, you know, he de- he does not have sort of the, the heart of gold that you, um, you know, might might anticipate, you know. The way I read it is he's very socially awkward and immature. Mm. And this was 
and and this situation that he f- sort of finds himself in, he's he's accepted into the boys' club basically. That mm-hmm. this is his way in, right? And he wants that, or at least he thinks he wants that. I mean, by the by the end of the film, he realizes what a shitty person he's been, and and rejects that. But but yeah, he's generally not a bad guy. He's he's definitely a nicer guy than all these fucking people he's hanging out with because they're all oh, yeah, really definitely. shitty people. But he does have this innate sense of honor, and he he does have morals, although he definitely bends them quite a bit and makes excuses for those bending of morals uh, to self rationalize well, them. Right? I guess but, you don't get the sense that he's actively tried to use this to his advantage to mm-hmm. you know to like manipulate people into giving him promotions and stuff. He's right. not painted that way. He's painted as more. He's kind of lucked himself into this position. And as long as he's in it, he's going to take advantage of it. And, you know, he's sort of bought into the values of the system and, you know, the values of this kind of corporate ladder, but not in a, not in sort of the toxic way. Do um, you, f- uh, well, like, yeah. But like, he, when- I mean, he flirts with Kublik and he's like, oh, I could put in a good word with you with, you know, the manager mm-hmm. and all that, you know, like he's, he's, he's definitely kind of using the, the, the sort of the office to, to curry favors or to kind of use his, you know, kind of newfound Although power or whatever. Uh, he doesn't quite do it in a lecherous way. As- no, no, no. There's, a, there's never a sense that he's, it, it's not, I'm not, I'm not claiming he's like using it as, as that. I mean, he's just, mm-hmm. he's just kind of willing to play the game. And I think that's kind well, of the, and, and yeah. the, the movie, his character arc is, you know, he becomes less and less willing to play that game once he sees the kind of real, I mean, once he has kind of a real experience. And I think that there's, I mean, and, and I, there's something kind of inherently problematic in the idea that he learns to be a better person after like the girl he's kind of smitten with, like mm-hmm. tries to kill herself, you know, but a, it's played as a real kind of character thing. And it's played like, I mean, a big chunk of this film is just these two actors, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemon, sitting in the apartment and chatting and mm-hmm. talking about stuff and playing Jim Rubby and kind of going through this experience together. And he sees it's not that like he learns to be a better person by her suffering. He learns to be a better person by seeing sort of the the stuff that he's kind of not letting himself see and kind of the, yeah. the, the unintended after effects of this stuff. And, and also seeing that the values of the people that he's enabling with this, who are kind of giving him all this authority are giving him kind of promotions and raises and stuff that, that, that the, the values of those people and the values of that corporation are not the values that are, you know, sort of that, that he wants to be a part of. You know. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is he he, he discovers that he, he might have thought he wanted to be at first. He wanted to be like Sheldrake, uh, Fred McMurray's character. Mm-hmm. But then he, he quickly realizes that he doesn't want to be that person because that's a person that actually doesn't care about people at all. Mm-hmm. That Sheldrake is, my God, he's a fucking monster. Oh, of all- like every scene. Fred McMurray, man, like... Jesus Christ. <laughs> out of out of all the adulterous shitheads who work right under him in management, he's the worst. And he manipulates smaller people without care of them being real people. Like they're just pawns or possessions to him. <laughs> you you find out like he dated his uh secretary four years ago and kept her on and she and like paraded the, the new talent, I think was the, the words she used, you know, the new mm-hmm. model in front of her. For four years, and then like, where she finally to gets feel bad, fed up. And she yeah. finally you know gets fed up and does something about it. It's like, and and for a while, I mean, we're I think we're meant to kind of think that she's kind of poking her nose where it doesn't belong, right? But you know, when you finally kind of learn the the you know 
the history there. It, it definitely puts a different spin on things. This is definitely worth seeing more than once because there oh, yes. are, for instance, one of the first things that Jack Lemmon's character says to Sean McLean, they're in the elevator, and he like compliments her her haircut. She's like, "Oh, I chopped it off." Pretty quickly, you learn that you know. I mean, a Jack Lemmon is complimenting her and saying, "Oh, this looks really nice. I'm glad you know it looks good on you." And also, she looks fucking adorable. <laughs> we learned that she chopped it off because the boss, Fred McMurray, has just uh, broken up with her, and he liked her long hair. And yeah. so she cut it. And women cutting their hair and drastically changing their appearance like that is usually a sign of uh, incipient depression. And, so, you know, it can be, you know, something that, that people do after a bad breakup or in the midst of kind of a bad breakup that, that is kind of self-destructive behavior. Yeah. Um. So. Um, so. The, and and it is just like all that's in like literally two lines of dialogue. You yeah. Know? It's there. There's such subtly dark stuff leading up to the uh, the overdose, the attempted suicide from Shirley MacLaine's character, and Fran and Cece are both kind of broken people in a way. Fran much more so. She's much more mature and knowing. She kind of knows she's fucked up, whereas Cece may, might be kind of lying to himself a little bit. And I guess that goes back to me sort of saying Cece is not as mature as Fran is. He's no, just, not at all. By the end of the film, he's actually kind of growing up a little bit and coming out of his shell, whereas Fran was always grown up, and <laughs> she's just kind of waiting there for him at the end to, to grow up, you know? Well, I, I think that it's 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 also, like, she's kind of realized, I mean, because she's realized that, you know, she's been attracted to these, like, terrible men. Mm-hmm. And that she's kind of had these experiences in her life that and and, you know like why is she attracted to him in the first place and look you know we all know that person who dated that person yeah who got into a situation that they should not have gotten into and they even recognize no this is fucked up but you know what else am i gonna do you know i love him what am i supposed to do about it you know and the answer to that is like if he's terrible for you maybe you should not you, you need to move on you know it's you well, know yeah she, there, are, there are more executives in the sea you know yeah well i mean and she genuinely fell in love with him at first because fred mcmurray's character is such a fucking monster but he puts on a human face and a charm when he when he needs to right oh man i love the moment i i mean you know because he's he's like playing with her and she says you know like you're playing with me. You're just keeping me on a string. You know, this mm-hmm. is, you know, play that record again or whatever. Then when he uh, runs into a uh, Baxter and uh, he's like, oh, you know, a girl, you know, you, you tell him it's just going to be a fun time. And then next thing you know, they think you're going to leave your wife right yeah. after he's essentially said to her, like, I'm going to leave my wife. And it's like, you fucking chud, you a slime ball. He's such yeah, a piece of shit. Yeah. Once CC kind of realizes what he potentially could become and he doesn't like that at all. And he starts to stand up for himself. And then, you know, Fran can kind of Fran sees that there's a better way. Like she, they're both victims of the system. CC kind of wants to be part of the system at first. And he's a victim in that way. She just wants love. And she was genuinely in love with this dude. And he just threw her away like trash, just like he threw away every other woman he was with. And it's this whole sort of, patriarchal boys club thing in this and, and on top of that the fucking the, the capitalist uh hey hey work harder make more money uh or otherwise fuck you <laughs> right. kind of system and and it's uh, and it's also subtly interwoven in this like it's it's never it's ne- it never feels like it's overtly knocking you over the head with anything it, it just feels also natural and at the same time it fools you because there's so much just great 
whimsical comedy stuff from Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine and their banter is so great. And there's these funny little side characters and you're like, Oh, it's a great little comedy until you hit the one hour mark. And then all of a sudden all these little things start seeping out even more so and overtly. And you're like, Oh shit, there there's so much more going on in this movie. And I see why it's two hours now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, again, rewatching it, you, you kind of look at the, um, some of the sequences, you know, like the, the, the rows of desks and the, you know, and these kind of work, uh, workplace mm-hmm. uh, comedies, workplace dramas, it's sort of a lot of that imagery dates back to, you know, kind of the thirties and forties uh, kind of earlier on in Wilder's career. He had originally wanted to make something like this. He originally kind of had this idea in the forties, but at the time you couldn't do anything like this kind of subject material on screen. This was considered radical at the time. I mean, now we kind of look at it and, you know, it's fairly tame, but let's do a comedy about like a suicide attempt is, I mean, in, in multiple, I mean, the, you know, because, you know, he thinks that she's uh, trying to kill herself a second time. Yeah. And uh, because he smells gas and like, no, she just didn't know how to light his stove <laughs> and she was trying to wash his socks. Yeah. And then later on, you know, the, there's the moment where, you know, she comes up and she hears the, that's, she thinks is a gunshot. That's the one moment of bullshit in this film, because that, there, there's no champagne cork ever that ever sounded that vividly like a gunshot. <laughs> like that's a little much, but well, I, I think I think I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go just because I think that there's a, sort of the psychological element of it. Of, I, like, I give where, I give you know... I give it I give it the excuse that actually what you hear is what Shirley MacLaine thinks she hears in her mind. Right. Yeah. So no. I, I give it that excuse, and it's like I, I would make excuses for this film anyway, just because. It's yeah. So no. It's good. it's, and I mean, even, even one kind of like sour moment towards the end is is not a uh, is not gonna ruin the uh, totally ruin the, ruin the reality yeah. for me. I was just totally <laughs> right. taken out of it. Also, the uh, the limp uh, noodle on the tennis racket is like that's yeah, no, that's dried up by yeah, now. Just that, I I know I know what dried pasta looks like when it's been sitting out for a couple of days. So believe me, mm-hmm. believe me, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. You know, the, uh, the, the 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 person who did continuity in this film should have been fired. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what garbage, garbage, garbage. Billy Wilder, the biggest hack ever. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I love God. There's so much. There's so much we haven't even touched on. Um, again, well, there's I mean, just too. There, it's like it's like fucking the problem we had with Stray Dog last week. There's actually too much to talk about in this film unless we do like a four hour podcast on it, or, or unless we do like you know. Sometimes I wish we'd watch the film and then just do like a pause and be like, okay, here's what's going on in this scene. It's mm. amazing. Do a live com, but you know, just pausing the film instead of trying to do a commentary track, right? Um, because I kept like there were moments I didn't take notes with this. I was just kind of casually rewatching it but there's so much some of the dialogue some of just the way that i mean all the like you know that's the way it crumbles cookie wise mm-hmm. i mean you know and that that sort of construction that kind of comes back over and over again and when she uses it at the end it's a sign that oh no you know i've kind of you know and it's not even like i don't even know that we get the sense that she's fallen for him i mean we kind of get kind of the the love story ending mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing where she's going to come back and play jim rummy with him but i think it's more you know it's kind of it reminded me a lot of like scott pilgrim the way that ends and where it's more like you know we've kind of agreed to try to make better people of ourselves together yeah. you know it's nice <laughs> again i feel like jack lemon's character he's more of a boy and he is definitely in love with her. Like he makes these grand gestures. He says that thing about I was Robinson Crusoe. And then I saw your footprint in the sand. Like that's something a 13 year old thinks of, of, you know, kind of thing. Right. And she's okay. That's really cute. And I like you. And 
let's see where it goes. Let's play Jim Rummy and see where it goes. That's that's where it ends. It ends on that sort of mature note because, yeah, this, this movie is very slyly written. The dialogue, like you said, is really good. There's a lot of double entendres in this that oh, sure yeah. slipped past a lot of people back in the day, but now it's they're blatant. Even the gesture she makes after um, one of the uh, the manager guys when you when you first see Fran. Uh, taking the elevator up, and he slaps her on the ass. One of these days, I'm basically just going to get your penis caught in this door and chop it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the little like hand motion she does whenever mm-hmm. she presses an elevator button. She does this little like flippy wrist thing, and then mm-hmm. you know, like I'm doing it now. Lee can see me, but obviously <laughs> the audience will not. But well, there's a lot of like really cute physical comedy. Another another bit um, with the tennis racket where he's. Uh, singing and making pasta yeah you know? like he says oh i use the racket to as colander really and then it's like yeah sure i mean why not you know yeah. and then he gets to do it later on and it's like well yeah that actually works pretty well if you're jack lemon and you're a brilliant <laughs> physical comedian you know he does this little thing where he's like you, you should watch me uh, serve the meatballs and he's miming, like hitting them with the racket i mean you know there's some great little there's some great little comedy bits there you know um yeah no it, that's another great thing i like about this is it's genuinely really funny and and partly like it it doesn't feel, and I'm sure we've both suffered from the same sort of thing where uh, we look at a, an old comedy and go, okay, this is going to be dated. Like the comedy is going to be dated Mm -hmm. and shit. And no, I watched this and I was, I was laughing out loud in some parts. It's actually a really funny comedy. It still holds up when he comes in with the cold and then he has to, uh, you know, he's, he has to uh, rearrange all these schedules in order to like mm-hmm. have the apartment to himself so he can actually go to bed. Yeah, and, and, you know, so I call this one guy and I've got to cancel. Oh well, can I have this other night instead? Oh no, somebody else has that night. Okay, let me uh, call. <laughs> and he's got to like you know, re- and then he has to recall everybody and say like, okay, you're good for Friday. Hang up, dial, dial, mm-hmm. dial, and we just watch the whole thing and like Jack Lemmon's continued exasperation just gets funnier and funnier. <laughs> I always love watching this film around this time of year because, uh, or you know, kind of the end of the year because it is actually set and that sort of Christmas, Christmas movie. to New Year's. It's a Christmas yeah. movie. This is um, this is my know, new favorite Christmas movie, by the way. Yeah, I, 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 that was kind of where I was going with that. I mean, you know, we always joke, "Oh, Die Hard is the perfect Christmas movie," or uh, Gremlins, or um, Lethal Weapon. But uh, for me, this is the one that really strikes me is, you know, the, the like for, you know, there's a difference between like movie set at Christmas versus Christmas movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that is sort of about what it's like to be like single and alone yes. on Christmas. You know, it's very much that sort of sense of I'm in the city. I'm, you know, I, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of I was a Robin, Robinson Crusoe on a desert island and then my Friday showed up, which you're right. It's a little bit of a kind of a cheesy romantic poet line, you know, kind of a little bit of a you know like yeah okay whatever guy but um also it does kind of speak to like his experience so just kind of feeling like you know i'm alone in a city of eight million people and this is just kind of what life is like and uh you know again we don't really get a sense of why he's caring about getting yeah. a promotion i mean certainly um, one of the things is by the standards of films at this time that this is kind of a little ramshackle rundown apartment compared to like apartments you'd see in a movie right. but i look at that apartment and i'm like that's a perfectly fine you know little looks- apartment for you know somebody living by themselves and yeah <laughs> looks comfy you know. to me man yeah no i mean you know he's got a tv he's got you know a record player he's got he's books. got a fairly fairly he's- spacious be- bedroom he, he's, you know, got to this is what seems to be a pretty easy commute to work. <laughs> I'm just looking at that and going like, you know, <laughs> there are people living in the city uh, now who I sure would, would uh, 
dream to have that uh, apartment at, mm-hmm. uh, at anything like the price that he's paying. You know, ninety ninety four dollars a he he makes ninety five dollars a, a week, week, and he, and play, he pays eighty five a for month the for the apartment. Yeah. And uh, if you if you work that out, he's basically making like forty grand a year in today's money. Yeah, yeah. I actually I actually had that in the trivia. Uh, yeah, I man, I this is probably my favorite movie I've seen this year so far. First time well, watch this. One. Sure, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it doesn't get to go on my list, but it would definitely be on that list for sure. I also uh, there's a there's a great little moment. I, I just want to bring it up. I I feel again. I feel like we're not really doing this film justice because we're just like go see it. If you haven't seen yeah. it, it's brilliant. Like do the th- you know there's there's hardly any problems I have with this at all. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the great little moments is he goes on Christmas Eve. He goes to the he goes to the bar and he hangs mm-hmm. out and he drinks like I think seven martinis or something like that. Yeah, he's before lining up the before the bar floozy comes over. You know, <laughs> and he had and before that he was at the. He was at the par- at the party or whatever, was he not? Right, and he had a couple of drinks at the yeah, party. Yeah, so right? he's and he's pretty drunk at this. He's point. pretty he's pretty hammered. I mean, you got to think. Okay, it's been a few hours. I mean, this isn't he's not like pounding him back, but he's kind of pounding him back, you know. Yeah. Also, you know, New Year's Eve party. Who knows? Uh, they're probably watering down the uh, the drinks a bit. There, Could be. You know? Could be. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, then he gets into this like little uh, little one night stand thing with this bar floozy. Hope holiday. Who's great in this? Like I, you know, I she, just she love. Blows, she blows the straw wrappers at him to try to get his attention, and he's. I'm not having any of this shit. Yeah, he, he's not. He's <laughs> everybody's. Everybody's reveling but him, and she's like, she comes over and she's, you buy me a drink, I'll buy you a song. She plays some music, and uh, he's just like, oh come on, like, really, we're not, we're not doing. And, and then she starts talking about how her husband is imprisoned by Castro. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, same old sob story. My husband, the jockey, got imprisoned by Castro. He's 99 pounds and five foot two. How yeah, many times have you heard that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, sir. Was he a revolutionary? No, he was never mixed up in that stuff. It's just, you know. And she wrote a letter to Castro and he still wouldn't let him out. Yeah, that rat think. I wrote him a letter two weeks ago, and he hasn't responded yet. <laughs> like, I mean, I bet he didn't treat Che Guevara this way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just such a like you know, it's such a weird little aside in this mm-hmm. movie, you know, that you just kind of get this little scene, and it's counterpointed with one of the darkest scenes in the movie, where like Sheldrake Kublik gives him a gift that he that he that she thought he would enjoy, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna have to keep this here. I can't take it home." Right. You know, then he just gives her he gives her a hundred dollar bill, which again is four thousand dollars or something in in today's money. Yeah, or a thousand dollars or something like that in today's money. So I mean, it's a, it's a fairly substantial like gift. And yeah, but he didn't. He, he's like, I can't be seen out actually buying something for you. People would talk, you know. So he gives her money, and then suddenly she's like, Okay, I guess I'm gonna take off. I guess I'm gonna get undressed now. And he's she, and he's well, what are you doing? He's like, Well, you pay for it, right? I mean, you know, and then that's. Yeah, that's, he's, he's that's, like, you're not that. Don't say that. You're not that cheap. It was a hundred dollars. Ain't that cheap? <laughs> no, that's not cheap at all. That's <laughs> that's pretty pricey. I gotta say. Yeah, no, and 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 that literally leads directly into her, you know, trying to commit suicide. In lieu of a suicide note, she just puts the hundred dollar bill in an envelope with his name on it, and it's. I mean, it's just, it's just, this astonishing. Like again, I saw this knowing nothing like this was gonna mm-hmm. happen. 
And yeah. When you run into that, I, the movie went there. Like, really? This movie actually went there? So you get this kind of cute little funny talking about Castro in a broad New Jersey accent alongside, you know, like our heroine is killing herself with pills, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's this really weird balance that works really well. And it it works brilliantly because immediately, like, he gets up to the the apartment and, you know, he kind of realizes what's happened. And he has to, like, kick out the new girl. And, you know, I, I feel bad for her because she thought she was going to get some. And, you know, yeah, like, it, was, I liked her. it wasn't I mean, her like, fault. I, I yeah. liked her a lot. I'm like, yeah, yeah let's, like, let's, let's let's party. Let's have let's some fun. Let's introduce some Polly in this situation. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure she'd be down for, down for some. Uh, it's like once she wakes up, you know? you know, once she yeah, wakes yeah. up, let's ask her and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> i guess we're gonna have to keep her awake somehow God, and i mean you know bring, and let's let's bring the jewish doctor over it's not like he's doing much yeah i mean he's he's got a lovely wife though feeds yeah. her soup and also and yeah no um so he brings the doctor over and then you know he really gets a and the funny thing is at this point he's still in the i've got to protect her reputation but also sort of like the company's reputation and you know my boss's reputation and mm-hmm. i mean this sort of belief i mean i think that it's weird today for us to kind of think that to the degree that CEOs were considered paragons of like virtue around this time. I mean, this is certainly still during that time, pre-Nixon, pre-Watergate, you know, I mean, and some of that is, is, you know, people's kind of saw through the propaganda, but I think there there was definitely, I mean, people saw just your regular CEO the way the normal, like, internet douchebag sees Elon Musk or something today. Mm-hmm. It's like this sort of, well, I mean, he's the CEO, so clearly he knows something. Yeah, clearly yeah. he's got, you know, well, this company, we have, uh, we have certain standards of uh, propriety and certain <laughs> standards of <laughs> behavior, and it's like, no, you're actually the worst of all of them. You know, yeah. you, you asshole, you know. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's a brilliant sequence. It's a brilliant, and the movie never really gets back into quite that level of fun that it was at before, you know, no. at that point, you know, you've really kind of turned, you've got this new kind of thing going on. And while there's still a lot of funny stuff and there's still a lot of interesting stuff, there's still a lot of, you know, kind of character work that's happening. Suddenly, you know, you realize you're in a much darker film than you were to begin with. And, you know, this film is not, this film is willing to um, not pull the punches in that way, you know? Right. A lesser film would have had CC eventually. There, there, something would happen that would explain to all the characters who live in the apartment building with him mm-hmm. that he's not really this disgusting playboy that they all kind of look down upon. They'd come to realize, oh, he was just protecting this woman's uh, reputation, and and he would, you know, and he made some mistakes, but he's generally a really good guy. They never really get to that point, although the doctor still clearly has a has a respect for him and likes him and they, 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 I think the doctor, it's funny how they don't actually say anything, but I think the doctor sort of gets it. It it feels like he kind of does because they leave on good terms, right? Once he leaves the job, he shoves that, you know, shitty. Yeah. That he shoves that nice job right back in McMurray's face. And then, you know, I can't imagine that the conversation he had with the doctor, with the neighbor at some point was, you know, something like, you know, oh, I had to leave that job. They were, you know, it was, you know, what's the place for me or whatever. uh, Honestly, I feel like the doctor actually kind of, gets it at that point when he it's it's on new year's when he's clearing out his apartment mm-hmm. and he's getting ready to leave and the doctor comes over and the doctor 
It almost feels like he's testing them. Hey, I've got a couple other doctors over, and we got some really hot young nurses over there. If you want to come over, and he's like, "No, I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta leave. I gotta go." It almost feels like there's a little bit of a test going there. Like, is yeah. he really this guy, or is he this other guy? Yeah, know? I mean, I don't see it as much as a test as much as you know, kind of a genuine like sort of attempt to uh, you know to, to reach out. You Could know, be to that kinda, too. You know. Yeah. But, you know, hey, we got a couple of hot nurses. I mean, I'd be like, oh, sure. No, I don't have a problem with that. You know, like. Yeah, if, I mean, if, this, was, if this was 1975, there'd be the swinging nurses and let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> if this were made seven years later, Anne yeah. Margaret would be one of those nurses. And, uh, oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then we can have Anne Margaret and Shirley MacLaine. Uh, yeah. In the same, in the same sexy movie. Throw like Raquel Welch in there as well, or something. Yeah, might as well. Like, we're just going to remake the Queens. Yeah, and we're going to do, do it in English, and uh, you know, with Jack Lemmon in all like parts of it. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it means I get to see those women naked, Jack Lemmon can stand there naked in front of me. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, there there is no nudity in this film. In case you're, no. in case you're curious, but um, there's just lots it's, of it's double entendres. It's pretty sexy, though. It I is. Mean, you, you gotta say. I mean, you know, Shirley MacLaine. Oh my god! I mean, she's mm-hmm. uh, she's a little cray cray, but um, yeah. in real life, but she is lovely in this film. And you know, I I fall in love with her again every time I see this. She is so fetching and amazing and i think she she's really doing the doing the thing of like of uh giving us a real performance i mean this right. is this is not you know oh, at first you think a... oh she's just gonna be kind of the cute girl in the movie and like no she's she's the heart of this movie and, and... no this is one of the most well-written and well-performed female roles i've seen in a movie from this era like it, it's very deep she was nominated for best actress for this. yeah she didn't i mean win it this year but uh but she was not i mean you know this is this did win best picture in 1960 and this was like our 1961 or whatever this is kind of considered to be oh yeah one of the times the, the academy actually got it right <laughs> right right i've only got like two other points i want to mention here yeah, really please. quick i i had a thought that there's the potential to take this story and make a really gritty noir about about mm-hmm. it like a, a gritty and perverse noir if you want to go neo-noir mm-hmm. uh, like i I, <laughs> I could see like brian de palma taking this concept and it's like oh yeah this guy he he rents out his apartment to all these scumbags and then he 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 has cameras in the rooms and he's filming them and something happens you know and he, he gets like in trouble. oh he's got blackmail material on one of them and then suddenly they find out about it and now he's on the run yeah there's a potential for another really interesting movie out of this sort of concept and the only <laughs> nick nolte 1975 is yes the junior executive <laughs> yes that would be so good uh <laughs> and the only other thing and i felt this was the most outside of shirley mclean this was the most charming thing i saw in the film was jack lemon in that moment where he tries on his bowler hat in front of her and mm-hmm. it and immediately i'm like that's fucking charlie chaplin like it's it's yeah. fucking it's totally a charlie chaplin moment and i was like wow okay this movie has me it's like i'm so sold well, he's, well, but it, i mean again it is playing on that same kind of like modern times kind of trope i mean it mm-hmm. is it is reaching back to that and i think that i mean i think that's definitely a thing kind of going on here is that it doesn't even feel really contemporaneous to 1959 it feels i mean it is very 1959 in terms of like the references they make in terms of you know the television and you know sort of i mean it it feels very of that moment 
but it's also hearkening back a little bit to its sort of a prior era. It's playing an interesting game of, you know, kind of being something that's both kind of of the moment and sort of there's a timelessness to it that comes from that. And I think that we missed that a bit in terms of seeing it in 2018 because it all just kind of feels kind of sort of generic. Oh, this was some generic past or whatever, you know? Right. I think uh, what you were saying there with uh, how Wilder had wanted to make this movie for so long there's there's a lot of the heart of this movie is still contemporaneous to that period of time when he first conceived of it. Yeah. So you, you get this Charlie Chaplin reference and you get that sort of physical, almost slapstick comedy. It's, it's definitely toned down from Charlie Chaplin but it, and Buster Keaton and, and that sort of era, but it's still very much present. It's, it's a yeah. nice little reference. So yeah, I like this film a lot. Uh, like I said, Best film I've seen this year so far. So there we go. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of trivia here. Um, and we've already done Stray Dog as well. Like Stray Dog is a fucking masterpiece. This yeah. is better than Stray Dog, you know. Well, the, the, no. The I thing think is this that, might be my favorite Billy Wilder film, actually. Okay. Well, the yeah, the thing is I'm thinking, you know, for for our first time watches of 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's where I'm going on this. Uh, I, I don't know if I like this better than Stray Dog, but uh, it's it's close. It's, you know, neck and neck kind of thing. Um, so for this film, Billy Wilder became the first person to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, Director, and Screenplay. And this was the last black and white movie to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards until The Artist in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty interesting. And what Schindler's List did in 1993, but that had color sequences. and right. Schindler's List is uh, well. <laughs> not, let's never let's never talk about Schindler's yeah, List. Yeah, it's not it's not that. It's not I have another great, podcast on which we might get to cover that one. So you know, it's not the great movie everyone makes it out to be. To create the effect of the vast sea of faces laboring grimly and impressionally at the desks of, in the huge insurance company, and and this is one of the cool things about this movie how. There's this sense of space in this film. He's confined in his apartment, and he seems comfortable there, except for after he becomes used so many times. And he's he's definitely comfortable in the elevator with Shirley MacLaine. But then, whenever he's you know uncomfortable, he's in these big open spaces, like he's sitting on a park bench or he's in this fucking massive office building. Basically, what they did with this, and this is just a practical effect thing: full size actors set uh, in the desks in the front of the in front, and as you went along. In the shot, there were children dressed in suits at tiny desks towards the rear. So so the room was definitely not as big as it looked. And then you get even further back, and it's just like smaller desks with cutout figures operated by wires moving. Like, <laughs> fucking ingenious stuff. Like, there's a million examples of the production design and Billy Wilder just making calls on, on set to get right. things in this and it's great like again four hour podcast we'd cover all this but (laughs) well and 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 also i mean just in terms of like the you know directorial genius you know for you know roughly i mean roughly half this film is set in one location Uh you know at one time or another and that's really remarkable also i mean you know while there are some exterior shot in, in new york city um, most of this is shot like on a stage in California as well, yeah. and you never get that sense. Never film. do. No, I, it, it, I believe it's completely organic that everything is like right there. I found a blog post that um, where they actually tracked down some of the locations that are in the yeah. film. I'll send you that link so you can put it in the show notes, oh, and cool. it's just kind of like then and now, and sort of they track down like the address he gives isn't the actual address, but it turns out to be just a couple of blocks away, 
And, you know, so they, you know, oh, it's been remodeled since then, that sort of thing. And, you know, like it's, nice. and they found like the park bench and like, oh, that actually is walking <laughs> distance from where the apartment's supposed to be. So, you know, good job on that. I mean, you know, it's one of those, like, it actually seems like, yeah, no, like it genuinely somebody put some effort into this, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I think you can see it. We were having the discussion about how uh, movies, you know, how you can pick out more details on the 55 inch screen or whatever yeah. you have now. This is a movie perfect for that shit because there's oh, so yeah. much going on in this film. Well, even like after he uh, fires the, uh, the pretty uh, secretary, the next time, you know, Jack Lemmon comes up there, he's got a new secretary and she's seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's just, you know, and I'm not, I'm not blaming an actress or, or a woman for being, I mean, you know, like, that's not fine, but it is very clear. Like, you know, get me one I'm not going to want to fuck. <laughs> yeah, it speaks, it speaks to Sheldrake's character, what a monster yeah. he is. Um, nasal spray that Jack Lemmon uses in the film was actually milk, because that's the only way you could get it to appear on camera, basically. Mm-hmm. So he was squirting milk into his nose, <laughs> which is something. That's, uh, a, that's a committed actor. CC just a poor accountant, but inside his apartment are two authentic Tiffany studio lamps worth hardly anything when the film was made, but now are worth between thirty dollars to $40,000 each. Uh, Bud's salary is ninety four seventy a week in nineteen fifty nine, or seven hundred and sixty nine dollars and twenty six cents a week, just forty thousand dollars a year in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. His rent is eighty five dollars a month, or six hundred and ninety forty seven a month in twenty fourteen. And, um, and I guarantee you that apartment would not go for seven hundred dollars a month. Today. No, no. <laughs> Interesting fact here, political-wise, the film was lauded by Soviet bloc critics as an indictment of the American system and a story that could only have happened in a capitalistic society like New York. At a dinner honoring him in East Berlin, (laughs) Billy Wilder said the movie could have happened anywhere in Hong Kong, Tokyo, Rome, Paris, London, etc. When Wilder said... The one place it could not have happened was Moscow. The East Germans broke into thunderous applause and cheers. When the ovation died down, Wilder continued, the reason this picture could not have taken place in Moscow is that in Moscow, nobody has his own apartment. And the remark was met with grim silence, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, interesting. I mean, mean, anytime you have a... uh stratification of resources that are being uh, controlled by a few people mm-hmm. um this basic sort of thing can happen if it's not you know the ceo of some insurance company but you know a, the uh politically powerful player on a workers council that uh gives out the plum assignments or whatever it's it's the same fucking mechanism right you know, right it's, right it's not socialism would solve this problem but you know the soviet union eh, not not really not, socialist not, yeah no, no no they were they were very authoritarian asshole shithead state but bullshit yeah and uh, murderous regimes and all that sort of thing we don't need to get into that but uh yeah so we'll go there most interesting thing that i think and this goes back to how kind of scandalous this movie was for its time according to fred mcmurray after the film's release he was accosted by women in the street who berated him for making a dirty filthy movie quote unquote one of them hit him with her purse apparently at, at some point Fred McMurray's fan mail was overwhelmingly against his role as the no good chief executive Sheldrake. Yeah, Fred McMurray was like a big star prior to this. Yeah. You know, he did a lot of great stuff. He did and, like a bunch of sitcoms. Like he was this kind of, you know, like which was he on Father Knows Best or My Three Sons? Uh, I can't remember. 
before this, he had this really stalwart Hollywood career. Like he was kind of like Henry Fonda in a way where he was, yeah. you know, America's dad or whatever, you know, like the, the, the guy everyone liked. I mean, know, I Henry. think about this. I think about this performance with Henry Fonda and I once put a time in the West a mm-hmm. lot. Like it's, it's a very similar kind of, you know, switcheroo there. Yeah, because, and, I mean, and, you could believe, because originally when you see him in the film, you know, when he's kind of berating Baxter for, you think I don't know what's happening in this company, you think I don't know yeah. what's what's going on here, we can't have this in our company, and Baxter's like, no, no, never again, it's never going to happen, of course not, and then he's like, I- I'm sorry, I thought you were a bright guy, I'm told you were yeah. a student, give me the fucking key, and uh, it's not quite, I just shot a small child in the face, can mm-hmm. um, refund once upon a time west side. Not far removed. It's, it's not on far that, removed. Not, no, it's it's on that it's on that spectrum. You know? Yeah, uh, but uh, the response shook him so much he vowed to never take on another such role. Although, also, you know that that's a little bit of the sweetening of the uh, thing there. Uh, also, another reason he ever took on so such a role is because Disney. He just signed a contract with Disney, and they offered him a lot of money for shit like the Shaggy Dog and stuff, where he became, right. you know. Where he really became America's, you know, smiling dad character. Like, hey, Fred McMurray, everyone likes that guy, you know, kind of thing. So, um, And Tim Allen swore he would never again play a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to go make 85 Toy Story sequels now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Budget for this was $3 million, box office $24.6 million, which is pretty fucking staggering for 1960. That's... That's I mean, that's, that's, a, that's like a $250 million boss office haul today. Mm-hmm. DVD info. There's a million DVD versions of this, most of them from MGM over the early 2000s. But if you want some nice Blu-ray editions, there's a 2012 MGM Blu-ray, and there's a 2017 and 2018 Arrow Blu-ray release. Uh, I think... The 2017 was like a limited edition thing with some extra stuff on it, but mm-hmm. there's also a 2018 that's available out there. So go get it. And and it is on uh, Amazon Prime. If you're mm-hmm. an Amazon Prime person, uh, there are I think a couple different versions of it, but there I mean I just picked one and hit play and it was brilliant. So and like I said, uh, Vimeo as well. And the, the Vimeo print, like I said, is probably the Blu-ray print. So check it out in Vimeo if you're not sure first, and then buy it afterwards. I think I'm going to buy this. So uh, yeah, yeah good stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised I don't own this. It was just never one that you know came up in the oh, like I, I must own this for some particular reason. But you know, I've watched it quite a few. I mean, not a lot. I it's one that I mm-hmm. don't like kind of revisit a lot. But I think I am going to try to start watching this around the holidays once a year. I think this is going to be like it a is a Christmas movie, yeah. man. It's kind of and then it's kind of one that deserves to take a deep dive into and keep coming back to it and looking yeah. at all the details and getting all the nuances because there's a lot of shit going on in this film. Yeah. yeah. So, Daniel, what are we doing next time? Next time, uh, I, I I put this out to our uh, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod? Jack Graham. <laughs> I love being able to say that. Friend of the pod, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I put this out to our friend Jack, uh, who has been on this podcast a few times, and I just said, hey, is there anything you want to see us do? I've I've been enjoying doing the black and white movies and mm-hmm. uh, I just kind of want to keep doing that for a little while. And uh, he recommended the battle of Algiers. Um, and so we're going to do the battle of Algiers uh, next week. Nice. little bit that I looked into this, which I have uh, not seen. So, yeah. uh, but I, but I've heard is, is astonishing. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. The little bit I looked into this, it's got some, uh, 
newsreel documentary type shooting mm-hmm. style in it. It's got a Ennio Morricone soundtrack to it. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> you hand me a black and white and Ennio Morricone. <laughs> yeah, like that just sounds uh, cool enough as it is. But yeah. uh, there we go. So it's going to be the ba- Battle of Algiers. Gonna we're going to talk about something the French uh, doesn't want to talk about all that much <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know that that's that's not hard to do really. If I yeah. think that the French aren't really too comfortable with talking about X-Nay on the revolution, eh? <laughs> yeah. X-Nay on the imperialist bullshit that our country participated in, like all the other countries, but we don't own up to it even more more so, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to be it. Uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Daniel E. Harper, if you want to follow what I'm uh, doing uh, lately. Um, I do have a, a new podcast, mm-hmm. which uh, people seem to be enjoying, yes. um, which does not involve anything that goes on on this podcast, but it is with <laughs> uh, my friend Jack. Uh, it's called I Don't Speak German, and it's uh, examination. We're going every week as long as we can kind of keep them up. Examination of the various figures, topics, and concepts, and ideas, and events of uh, what's been going on with the uh, white nationalist right over the last couple of years um, because I've spent a lot of time listening to racists yell at me uh, through podcast form. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if that sounds amusing to you, we've been getting pretty good reviews on it. Uh, we would love to get that into more people's ear holes because I think that it's a uh, kind of an important thing to get out there for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first episode was on Richard Spencer. The second episode is on David Duke. The third episode, which we'll be recording this weekend, will be on the Unite the Right rally, uh, which is in yeah. Charlottesville, August 12th, 2017. And that one uh, is almost certainly going to be a two-parter. So we'll uh, see where we go from there. We're just kind of picking the topic. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, if you want to listen to Jack and me talk about horrifying people and things uh, for about an hour a week, that's the way to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's both on Lipson and YouTube now, and uh, I'll once again provide the links for that in the show notes. <clears throat> For anyone interested, and we are uh, we are working to get, actually get that on iTunes. Once we get that on iTunes, I'm <laughs> I'm hoping to kind of spread it around a little bit more. But you yeah, know, people seem to have a real resistance to actually subscribing to podcasts that are not on iTunes. It's yeah, it's, it's like, weird. It's an but, RSS feed. You just but, plug but it at into the same time is, but you know, yeah, but at the same time people have a real problem with leaving reviews and pumping up the podcast they like in iTunes as well, because the iTunes interface is shit. <laughs> well, iTunes, I, iTunes is complete shit. Let, let's yeah. just, let's just admit iTunes has always been complete shit. Yeah. But uh, they have complete market dominance on this stuff. That's and the thing. So, it's... Uh, and so everybody is, everybody has their, their balls in a vice. Everyone with balls who wants to produce audio content like podcasts has those balls in a vice. Yep. If you do not have balls, you have some other piece of anatomy in some other uh, very uncomfortable place. Your, your, pussy, your, your pussy is being pinched by iTunes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever, you know, and not in a fun way, for sure. No, not uh, in a fun know. way. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> You're forced to deal with iTunes if you want to gain any kind of audience at all, and yet uh, they make the process of getting on iTunes completely opaque and nasty. It's so excruciating. You basically just pay someone else to do it for you, and mm-hmm. then they reject you for no reason because we've been trying to get other podcasts on there, and we can't figure out why. Like, it just never seems Ugh. to work, and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and go, well, I guess we're just not on iTunes. And then when you tell your people about your podcast, you go like, hey, look, you should check out my podcast. It's uh, in this place. Like, oh, is it on iTunes? Um, no, I don't know why. You, you know, mean I can't click on a 
I can't click on just iTunes and have it automatically downloaded. I actually go have to go to a website and, and download or, it with a physical you mean, link. I, and you mean instead of clicking on the button that says iTunes on it, I have to click on the button that's two over from that? That's kind yeah. of RSS? I have to click on that button? I don't Fuck understand you, how that works. Yeah. No, that's... <laughs> too much well, that work. Just, that just sounds like bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's the same people, but that's the same people put timestamps on YouTube videos. <laughs> same fucking Nazis. I hate them all. <laughs> anyway, you can find that at I don't speak German pod.blogspot.com, I think is the but uh, it's gonna be linked, so everyone linked, will so find it. Check it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our if you want to go there, Apple Podcasts link <laughs> and our, our YouTube and our Facebook group. And, we uh, we are now going to be banned from Apple Podcasts. That's going to be the thing. Like they yeah. know we just whined about them, and uh, it's over now. It's over. We just we just talked about the man, and now the man's going to bring the hammer down. Yeah, that's all right. I'll give maybe, a fuck. maybe I'll let him use my apartment, and uh, you know, to fuck his mistress, <laughs> and then you know. They're like, well, you can keep your listing there. You know, we got hey. some really nice listings. If you'll let me, you know, let my girlfriend, uh, you know, try to commit suicide in your house. Like, I'll... hey, if you if you if you let the Mark Marin podcast fuck some chick in your in, in your apartment, <laughs> we'll keep you on the we'll keep you on the surface. <laughs> And not even Mark Marin himself. I'm just imagining like like uh like some gestalt of the podcast like walking into my house, you know, like some 2D representation of Mark Marin, you know, like yelling at me and then telling me like about this coffee that his uh it's been a long time since I listened to that podcast, but uh pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I don't even know how that works, but it's funny. <laughs> All right, I think I think we're done. Let's get out of here. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Daniel, and uh we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Porque perdi meu 
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>